Welcome into the Fumbling Punter Podcast. I'm your host, Devin Keeney, and with us today, our good friend, the good doctor, J.K. Sturgeon. J.K., thanks for joining us today, man. Yeah, it's good to finally be back. I've been gone for a while. Yeah, J.K.'s uh, appendix uh, betrayed him whenever (laughs) we were supposed to do a Logan review, and he ended up being in the hospital instead of in the studio. So, glad to have J.K. back with us, and J.K.'s got some good stuff for us. Also on the podcast today, we have a couple of good hockey interviews. We have Christopher Martell, who covers the Nashville Predators for Fox Sports Tennessee. And then we have our good friend, Bradley, of St. Louis Game Time, who is going to join the podcast as well. So, J.K., uh, Lucas and I let the cat out of the bag that you're not just a movie guy, that you do know a good bit of sports. So, And you're a big Chiefs fan. I am. So... Why don't you? Uh, why don't we talk a little bit about Patrick Mahomes? I know that caught both of us off guard. It definitely caught me way off guard uh, because I wasn't even watching the draft at the time. And you know, Lucas texts me and says, "Hey, the Chiefs just traded up. You know, they've got to be taking Watson, right?" And so I, I start to think you know, taking Watson wouldn't be a terrible idea. Um, and then getting the update that they took Patrick Mahomes, and I was like, "What?" And so instantly I start getting a flood of text messages from my friends that know I'm a Chiefs fan saying, you know, what do you think of it? Um, You know, do you think it's a good idea, a bad idea? And I didn't really have an immediate reaction to it. I've been thinking about it for a while. You know, I've been been chewing on it for the last two days, basically. And so I can give you four reasons why I don't think it's the right pick. I don't necessarily think it's a bad pick, but I don't think it's the right pick. Um, number one, historically, Chiefs have not had a lot of success drafting offensive players. Um, they're not like the New Orleans Saints who can pull Marcus Colston out of Hofstra in the sixth round of a draft. You know, we, I was looking at previous first round picks, Tony Gonzalez, Jamal Charles, that's about it. Um, Priest Holmes, we got him from the Ravens after they beat the Giants in Super Bowl 35. Uh, Larry Johnson was kind of a one hit wonder. Um, I really wouldn't consider him to be a success. And then, of course, there's the 1983 draft. So there were a lot of big-name quarterbacks that came out of the 1983 draft. You have John Elway, Dan Marino, and Jim Kelly. Uh, One of those names that you have not heard of that came out of that draft would be Todd Blackledge, who the Chiefs took at number seven. Unless you watch a lot of ESPN college football. Yeah. So Elway went number one, Blackledge went number seven, and then Marino and Kelly went later in the draft, which that was kind of rough because obviously no one's ever heard of Todd Blackledge. Yeah, especially whenever you're in there with all the Hall of Fame quarterbacks and you think about uh, even though Jim Kelly didn't start his career in the NFL, he ended up you know going to four straight Super Bowls. Yeah, and... That's, that's my first big reason. The second big reason is there's no immediate value to Patrick Mahomes. So I think the Chiefs need to be striking while the iron is hot. They've made the playoffs the last two years, and how long can you expect the division to be as down as it is right now? The Broncos are clearly in a rebuilding year. Um, they don't know if Simeon or Paxton Lynch is going to be the starting quarterback. Um, they just lost to Marcus Ware, who's a big locker room leader and on-the-field leader. Uh, Chargers are definitely in rebuilding mode, both metaphorically and physically, because they're also in the process of moving to a different city, as well as Oakland. But, you know, while Oakland had a lot of success last year, it seems like Andy Reid kind of had Jack Del Rio's number, and they didn't pose a huge threat to us because we beat them twice, and we swept the AFC West. 
So, right now the Chiefs, they need to strike while the iron is hot, mostly because that defense is so talented. They've got the young talent in Chris Jones and Marcus Peters. You've got three guys that are in their prime. You have Eric Berry, who's arguably the best safety in football. You have Justin Houston, who is the second highest paid defensive player in football. And then you have um, D Ford, who was a big surprise last year. I've kind of talked smack about D Ford for the past couple of years, you know, thinking, why are we always drafting these Auburn players? But D Ford actually really surprised me last year, and I thought he was good. And then, of course, you've got Tom Bahali and Derek Johnson. You've got the old guard that's, you know, the twilight is setting on their career. They're doing more in the locker room for morale probably than what they're doing on the field. But right now, the defense is as good as it's going to get. Um, and, you know, on the converse, you know, what would you do if you wanted to draft offensive talent? We haven't had a lot of success drafting wide receivers. Jonathan Baldwin. <laughs> Ooh, man, I completely forgot about him. Yeah, most people have. Um and then, you know, you want to take a quarterback. So I guess Patrick Mahomes is a good pick. I personally would have picked um, Watson over him. Yeah, I think it was hard for me in the sense that uh, I'm, I'm with you. You know, the iron's hot right now. The Broncos are rebuilding. The Chargers are down. Uh, you know, the Raiders are good. But like you said, the Chiefs had the Raiders number. And there were so many good players that could have made this team so much better with those picks that they're getting rid of. Uh, you know, I advocated for a wide receiver. Dalvin Cook uh, yeah. was someone else that I brought up. I thought that there was a lot of needs they could have filled right now, and now they don't have a first-round pick next year either. Yeah. So, and then on the other side, it's the uh, it's already happened, let's deal with it. Yeah. So, I think that, like, Mahomes, from, like, a pure talent standpoint, is – like raw talent because obviously there's no way he's going to see the field this year. But when you saw some of his throws that they were highlighting, like he is throwing 45 yards downfield on the money, throwing off his off foot. Yeah. And that, and that's exactly what brings me into my third and fourth point. So Lucas made a great point on one of the earlier podcasts, you know, they're saying, Oh, he's going to learn from Alex Smith. And Lucas is like, what is he going to teach him how to throw between zero and 20 yards? Um, so that is why I was thinking, I'm not sure he is the right pick in terms of, I don't know how he's going to fit into Andy Reid's offense. So let me ask you something. How many 4,000-yard passing quarterbacks do you think Andy Reid has coached in his career? 4,000. Or 4,000-yard um, seasons. Seasons. McNabb, ha McNabb had to have had a couple. Uh, I don't think Mike Vick had any. Foles didn't have any. Um Two? Zero. He has never coached a quarterback who has thrown more than 4,000 yards in a season. So you're talking uh, about Matt Stafford having three of the nine 5,000-yard passing yeah. seasons. So Andy Reid doesn't coach quarterbacks that throw the ball a lot. Um, they consistently rank in the bottom third in average pass attempts per game. Um, the most pass attempts they've averaged per game in a season – was last year they it was 34.8 but that ranked us at 20th in the entire league um and then passing play percentages we're consistently in the bottom third um the best we've had it was in 2016 last year 59 percent of the plays from scrimmage were passing plays um but how is Mahomes going to adjust to that so when he was at Texas Tech he was working with an offense 
where 64% of the time he's passing the ball and 67% of the time he's involved with it because he was also their leading rusher last year. So is he going to be able to fit into Andy Reid's offense, which I think is built more around scheming and the bubble screens. God, I hate those bubble screens. Ugh. And is, is he this guy that like really likes to throw deep? Is he going to fit into that? Because then I go into my fourth point, who's he going to throw to? I, I, I'm not going to lie. I did get a little excited thinking about Tyree kill blowing by somebody and having a quarterback that could lead the ball to him. But, and then here's the, here's the paradox with Tyree kill at, for a chiefs fan. It's hard to be a Tyree kill chiefs or a Tyree kill fan as a chiefs fan because of his past. And I struggle with that. Um, I'm not a Tyree kill fan right now. Uh, I, think that he has tried to make an effort to move forward from what he did but I think what he did was unforgivable and I just I have a hard time rooting for him so yes he is definitely talented but I don't know I I just have a real hang up with him from another side of that though uh man look at pro athletes nowadays and I not I wish everybody was like Eric Berry and Alex Smith you know great people uh I heard actually Clay Travis talking about the year that he wrote on top or on Rocky Top. Eric Berry was at Tennessee, and he uh, he got to follow Eric Berry around that year and just talked about what type of person that he was. And then uh, his mom told him, "You're you can, you can be a man when you can buy your own grits." And so <laughs> when he got drafted, he bought his mom a car and he put a bag of grits. You're kidding me. Yeah, so he, you know, indicating that he was a man. He can buy his own grits. But the the whole point of this is uh, I wish that everybody in the NFL was that good of a person, but this gets into a little bit of a deeper issue of look where all the five-star recruits are coming from. I mean, a lot of them don't have good backgrounds. They're, uh, you know, suburbia. U.S. is not where these guys are coming from. They're coming from the poor parts of the South, inner cities, and not that that gives you an excuse to do what he did, but there's a lot of a lot of rough around the edges guys in the NFL. So I've just came to it's unfortunately part of football. I mean, obviously, I'm going to root for guys like Eric Berry and Tyree Kill and Jeremy Macklin before I'm going to root for a Tyree Kill, but it's just kind of the nature of the beast to an extent. Yeah. And that's a really good point. So, you know, I was, I'm got some notes here. They're mostly about attitudes like Travis Kelsey. I have been the biggest Travis Kelsey fan since the Chiefs drafted him. I thought it was a great pick. He fit in great uh, with the team. He was the leading receiver as a tight end, you know, reminded me a lot of Tony Gonzalez from back in the late nineties, early aughts. And then we have the divisional playoff game. And he's pushing Ross Cockrell down, you know, with a total cheap shot. He's mouthing off about the officials in the locker room. And, you know, I, I honestly think he's just kind of turned into a diva. And the the giving him that reality show. Catching Kelsey. Um, <laughs> did you ever watch that crap? No, my wife did for like 15 minutes and then refused to even cheer for Travis Kelsey after that show my my wife watched it and she's a Broncos fan so I think that's why she enjoyed it so much because (laughs) he just he's really gotten pretty full of himself and while he is producing you know 
him and Hill right now, I'm really having a hard time rooting for. I love Macklin. You know, yeah. I had a Jeremy Macklin Mizzou jersey when we were at Mizzou. And, you know, when he got traded to the Chiefs, I thought that was the best thing ever. I was really excited. But has he really produced, you know, and really given us our money's worth? I mean, you can debate that he has. I don't think so. But um, I, I, I still really like him a lot. And then you have Chris Conley. and There's a guy I want to just break out. He just he, – he seems like he's just right at the boiling point. He hasn't, like, tipped over into hot – status you know he hasn't really caught fire but he's got a lot of talent and i'd like to see him do better but honestly out of all the wide receivers i think chris conley is the one that's going to fit with mahomes the best yeah and that very well could be and uh kind of your no on-field impact now i think that's why this whole draft has me down a little bit you know when you give up so much for a guy that you're not going to see for one maybe two years and so it's hard to just get pumped. Like maybe they get a couple of guys today. They have three picks almost in a row, 170, 180, 183. And I was talking on Twitter earlier today that there are a lot of Pro Bowl, all pro Hall of Famers that come from these rounds. So maybe yeah. the Chiefs scouting department, Dorsey and Andy did their due diligence and are able to find some diamonds in the rough and are able to make this team better now. Yeah, I, I really hope so, because um, I know Dorsey was, he has been in conversations with Whaley, who's the Bills GM, all week. They they knew that they wanted Mahomes from day one, so I'm just hoping that they haven't put too much focus on getting that trade and getting him, that they still have enough in the draft room to make some smart picks and make the Chiefs a more well-rounded team. So, uh, just a random thought. I, being as though we were talking about uh, your, you don't like to root for guys with off-field issues, you probably weren't on my Chad Kelly train. <laughs> no, I mean, but Chad, Chad Kelly, I mean, kids got balls. I'll give him that. You know, he was trying to hit on Mia Khalifa, and she trying totally. To shoot up the club. Yeah, and she totally, I mean, she volleyball spiked him on Twitter. <laughs> Yeah, that was pretty pretty embarrassing for him. But anyhow, I guess the Chiefs don't have to worry about it. So let's get over to our two interviews with Christopher Martell, and then we'll get into the Bradley interview. And now joining the podcast is Christopher Martell. He covers the Nashville Predators on Fox Sports Tennessee. Christopher, thank you for joining the show. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, so P.K. Subban was absolutely on fire in game one. He had three points, one goal, and if it wasn't for the delayed offsides, he would have had another goal. And so I knew the Weber-Suban trade was big. How did Predators fans feel about that trade then, and how are they feeling about that trade now? Well, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of Predators fans were really kind of uh, just um, – they didn't really know how to accept it and really kind of how to deal with that trade because Weber had been such a huge part of the Predators for such a long time. Uh, but in reality, when you look at the underlying stats behind them, it's not a, it's not a bad trade. It's actually a very good trade. Um, Subban brought a, brings a lot to the Predators, and I think the fans finally, after um, you know, after a few weeks, and when he got back from his injury and started playing a little bit more, uh, they finally gave him um, kind of, I guess, kind of started to accept uh, accept Subban as a Predator and really kind of not necessarily get over Weber, but uh, just jump on board the Subban train, I guess. 
Yeah, and uh, you know it, that's easy to do when he plays like he did in game one. Yeah, absolutely. And well, having that kind of effort uh, doesn't just uh, underline Subban as a player, but it really kind of showcases what the Predators saw when they uh, decided to trade. Oh, absolutely. So all Blues fans were rooting for Nashville against the Blackhawks. Big rivalry there. How big was that win for the Predators in the city of Nashville to knock off the Blackhawks in the way that they did it? Well, it was very reminiscent to a few years ago when they beat the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, up in Nashville's franchise history, the the Red Wings up to that point in time were the the uh, gold standard, the the bar, if you will. You know that the Predators uh, really kind of looked to uh, toppling, and they they ended up knocking over that bar in five games back when they uh, beat the Red Wings, and then subsequently lost to the Coyotes the next round. But this time, it feels a little bit different. You go in against a Chicago team, nobody picks you. And, of course, being the eighth seed, uh, you don't really expect anybody or not very many people to pick Nashville to win that series. And they go in and just decisively win in four games. Uh, nobody could have seen that coming, that period. Not not a single person saw a four-game sweep of Chicago coming, especially one where they only allowed three goals to the Blackhawks. So uh, something like that happens. It's not only just a – a big deal for the team, but it's a big deal for the city because it's just a, it's a stamp that the Predators are uh, are more on the right track than they have been over the past few years, and and uh, hopefully that will continue along the way uh, for the Predators. Yeah, that that's anytime you can win a series like that in the fashion they did, your fan base has to be ecstatic about it. So yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, so where do the Predators rank in terms of sports fandom in the city of Nashville? They obviously have the Titans there. Uh, know there are a lot of Vols fans in Nashville, as well as uh, Vanderbilt being there. And, of course, that's college football country. So have people, after you know the way they've played, have people really bought into the Predators and the NHL in Nashville? Yeah, I think the Preds have their own, their own fan base. I mean, Nashville sold out every all 41 of their home games this year, including – uh, there are two postseason games against Chicago. Um, uh, the games against St. Louis are already heading towards sellouts. So, I, you know, it's, uh, I don't think it's ever been since around 2007, 2008 when they were, when they were bought by a um, fan-owned group. I don't think since then uh, people buying in has really been a question. Uh, the, so the other teams in the city are on board with the, uh, with the Predators, and, and, and I think the further they go in the playoffs, uh, the more you'll see the entire city just kind of latching onto the the uh, blue and gold elements of the Predators, and and, and it's a it really helps that the um, that both teams are really starting to get you know really good uh, in terms of their annual play. Uh, the Preds have been a team that's consistently made the playoffs for you know for quite a while since 2004. There's a couple years in between there where they haven't. But uh, the Titans are starting to come of their own now. And, yeah, of course, it is a college football state in its entirety. But the way Nashville, uh, especially the Predators, have been marketing themselves, it, they, they stand to really gain a lot as, as they continue their drive in the postseason. Yeah, and so talking about uh, the Predators fans, so I've seen the catfish get thrown onto the ice. I, has to, I have to ask, where did that come from? Well, you know, it's kind of a play on um, the octopus from Detroit. Uh, okay, that was, that's always been yeah, that's been a big thing for uh, for Detroit. And uh, back when 
you know, the Predators were a fledgling franchise. Uh, of course, Detroit was the um, the gold standard, like I mentioned earlier. In, in Nashville's fans, there are a lot of transplants from multiple different uh, different areas, and including a lot of places up north. Detroit, there's a lot of Detroit um, uh, transplants in Nashville, and so some of them that had become Predators fans decided to, uh, you know, make a new tradition. So instead of throwing a, an octopus, they threw a catfish, and uh, that kind of latched on. So. Uh, so anytime you see a catfish out there, it's kind of a uh, it's kind of a uh, subtle shout out to Detroit. Oh yeah, and that I, I think it's fun anytime you know you get a group of people and there's something that they do, especially you know in hockey, newer franchises. I think it's a lot of fun for the fans. It's fun for me to see on TV, you know, and I'm not particularly a Predators fan, but I see that and it just I don't know it it always gives me a good laugh every time I see it. Yeah, it's always entertaining. I just always hope that no one skates over one of those as it gets thrown. <laughs> oh yeah, that that would that would be bad. But Christopher, yeah. that's all I got. Uh, thank you so much for taking time to join the podcast, and good luck to the Predators the rest of the way. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. That was a really good interview with Christopher Martell. It. It's nice to get a perspective from maybe the other team, and I know that we do have some listeners in Nashville, so that's for you, our faithful Nashville listeners. Now, switching to the other side of the cup, we have Bradley of St. Louis Game Time here to join us for this next interview, a big day here at the Fumbling Punter. So let's get over to that interview with Brad. And now we welcome in St. Louis Game Time's Brad Lee. Brad, thanks for joining us today. Hey, I'm I'm happy to be here. How's it going? Good. So the last time we talked, uh, the Blues had just traded traded Kevin Shattenkirk, and I had to look it up. The Blues had 67 points at that time. They were in ninth place in the Western Conference. Did you see us having this conversation about the Blues in the second round? <laughs> uh the easy answer is uh no maybe a hell no <laughs> uh the the way the blues played under mike yo was uh refreshing i believe his record i believe the record for the blues under him is 25 11 and 2 including the playoffs i believe wow uh maybe 26 somewhere in there so uh i mean it's he they, he's won the blues have won more than twice as many games as they've lost since he took over as coach and, uh, you know, he took, he inherited a team that had the worst save percentage in the National Hockey League. Jake Allen played tremendous down the stretch. What's funny, though, is people say, oh, wow, you know, Jake Allen had such a good finish to the season. If you look at his numbers over the whole entire season, though, his save percentage was 91.5. He stopped 91.5% of the shots he faced. That's his career average. Oh. So, granted, he was awesome the last six weeks, two months of the season. He was that bad at the beginning that it all averaged out to his career average on save percentage. Wow. That's a, that's insane to think about that he ended up with his career average after how well he played there at the end of the season. Yep. But uh, So uh, do you think that that was the biggest turnaround for the Blues was the goaltending in the second half after Ken Hitchcock got fired? I think so. I believe the, I believe the Blues played better in front of him. But, you know, the one thing that we need to mention is the the change in, in goaltender coach. So they fired Fred Corsi, who had been the goaltender coach for a couple of years. And in hockey circles, he's really well known because there's a, an entire stat named after him that he kind of came up with. 
because the, the NHL does not track possession of the puck, you know, if you play NHL 17 on Xbox or PlayStation, it tracks how long you have the puck because it's, you know, the computer program. Yeah. They don't actually keep a stopwatch for how long teams possess the puck in the NHL. So what they do is they try to assimilate, okay, what's a metric that would explain for how much a team holds the puck? So they, they basically look at the Corsi, and the Corsi looks at every shot attempted. So if a shot's on net and it counts as a shot on goal, if it's a goal, if it hits the post, or if it's wide, if it's blocked, any sort of attempt goes into that. And then the other thing they do is they look at the percentages. So when you're on the ice versus the team, the players you're playing against on the ice, who has the more percentage of shots? You know, if you look at the total number of shots when you're, while you're on the ice is 20 and you and your teammates were, were created, you know, nine of them, then you have left in less than 50% and that's not good. Okay. So Corsi, long story short, Corsi was fired. They, they, they decided to make Martin Brodeur one of the probably two greatest goaltenders in the history of the national hockey league. You could argue him or Patrick was better. Uh, his career is a little bit longer than was. So his raw numbers are a little bit more, but you know, multiple Stanley cups and in, in New Jersey and, and, you know, just iconic, the, the goaltender of the nineties really. Uh, so he's now the, the goaltending coach. And I think you could see some tendencies that Martin Brodeur showed in his playing days emulated in Jake Allen. He was a little more stand-up. He was a little more calm. He was a little more prepared. And and I don't know if it was Allen and Corsi just didn't get along or or they had a little bit more trouble communicating. Or Allen says, you know what? This guy won almost 700 career NHL hockey games in the regular wow. season. Maybe I should listen to him. So so I think that's been a huge impact is the, the coaching of Martin Berger. I will say, though, at the end of the Hitchcock era, there was a lot of standing around. Yeah. And, you know, he preached a very team-oriented defense, but there wasn't a lot of buy-in at the end of the Hitchcock era. So I think they really woke up and said, you know what? We still have a pretty good team. We're still in the in the mix in, in getting into the playoffs. And, you know, you never know what happens when we get in the playoffs. We need to double down and really commit to playing defense. And and they really have. The first round, you know, they against Minnesota, they really were kind of a bend but don't break defense. Yeah. Where they allowed a fair number of they they allowed a fair number of shots. Of the vast majority of them were from the perimeter, and they were not as many in the in the high danger areas, what they call it, in close in front of the net. So I think there really has been a commitment by the players in front of Jake Allen to play better defense, but he has played better too. Yeah, and when they're playing better, I know that makes his job easier. Absolutely, absolutely. So- so, uh, talking about uh, Game Time AM, your radio show that you do with Jeff Jones, I'm really enjoying that, and I notice at the start it says the show is almost never easy, but we bring it to you. Are there any major stories behind that? <laughs> that's the that's the motto of the Game Time paper, too. It's almost always never easy. And I, There was one time, gosh, I don't know, it's been a year or two ago, where there was a Blues game, and I think it was kind of one where – everyone thought they were going to win and just kind of just kind of you know play the end and it was it was going to be no big deal and all of a sudden at the end i think the other team tied it up and i think they lost in overtime and my pithy comment at the end was ah this game just shows you it's almost always never easy and i thought you know what this this fan on paper that we sell outside blues games and then when we got on the air you know we our, our radio show is five to seven in the morning st louis time and uh you know my alarm goes off at 4 10 every day for the radio show. And that's not easy for sure. And uh, I think it kind of, 
I think what we go through and and what the blues have been going through for 50 years now, nearly 50 years yeah. now, uh, you know, it just proves that it's, it's almost always never easy. Yeah. And so talking about the paper, I opened my email today to <laughs> read the uh, game time of the digital edition because I won't unfortunately be in St. Louis tonight. And I was caught off guard at the mention that uh, you aren't committing to next year yet. Can you expand the, the key, on that? Yeah, sure. The keywords yet. So when I took over, when I took over the paper, so it's just to give uh, any any new listeners a little background. So we have a fan run paper that sold outside every Blues home game, and it's it's really one of a kind. There was a paper in Chicago before us, and then they took a little break, and then a guy picked it back up and did it for a while, and now he's he's quit doing it again. So really across the NHL, we are the only ones who do it. And I think in baseball, uh, I think there's one outside Wrigley and one outside Fenway in Boston. And that's really it. It's And it's kind of uh, – the idea is, you know, in St. Louis, the Cardinals are the thing. And they get the vast majority of media attention and, and reporting and time on the TV and in the newspaper. And so we kind of – you know, fans – I have a journalism background as a newspaper reporter and editor. But – you know, we, we do this paper as a program that you can take into the game that we've got lots of stories and opinions and jokes and stats. And uh, they stop selling a program inside. And so if you want a program, if you want to know who the numbers are that on the other team or the stats or anything, you have to pick up our paper. So uh, it's been a 22-year tradition. It started in January of 1995 when the current building opened. And if you hear any thunder outside uh, – coming coming across the microphone there's a storm rolling through it hopefully wednesday night for game one there was rain the entire entire time before leading up to the game and after the game so hopefully this storm rolls through before the game tonight we're yeah. recording this friday afternoon uh so real quick the paper 22 years uh there's been three people who have run it jeffio did it for 10 years uh gallagher did it for seven and then i've been doing it for this is my fifth season that we're wrapping up whenever the blues are done and and when I started doing it in 2013, I said, look, I will commit to doing it this season. So if if you want to subscribe to the paper, if you want to, you know, get the paper outside every home game, you know, you can count that we'll have an issue and I will finish the season no matter what. But beyond that, I'm not going to make any promises. And so usually I try to make it through the season. And, you know, the season starts first week, week of October and it's now nearly May. So. I think we just finished doing uh, issue number 40. I can pull it up right now. Issue number 45. So we've done 45 of these things. Wow. For, the, for the playoffs, we're doing 28 pages. So there's a lot of stuff to put together, a lot of stuff to do. So basically I say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the paper through, through the season and then I'll take a break in the summer and, and say whether or not I'll come back. What I said in the email to subscribers today was that uh, – I will make sure the paper goes on next year, no matter what I, I haven't committed next season. I probably will. There's really nothing that's happened this year that says it's time for me to separate step away, or I don't want to do this anymore. Uh, but you know, I, I want to take a step back and take a little break and then commit. And then as soon as I commit then I'm all in for the whole season. So, but, but I did promise that if I did step back, I don't want the paper to go away. So I, I know a few people who are interested that if I ever step away, they might be my, uh, there's a story in the Princess Bride, the Dread Pirate Roberts, that they could be the next Dread Pirate Roberts running the game time ship, the <laughs> the Merry Ship of Fools. So uh, so yeah, so don't don't worry, game time's not going anywhere. So I'll, uh, I and I, I it's like 95 percent chance I'll still be back anyway. 
Okay, well, that's good news because uh, when I read that, when I first read that this morning, knowing that I was going to talk to you this afternoon, for a short moment, I felt like Dan Rathers whenever he would get a big breaking story come across his desk. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm getting this email and I'm talking to Brad today. Holy cow, you know, ABC World News stuff. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> to talk about the uh, game time paper. Uh, so talking about the, uh, blues predator series, you know, we lost game one, four to three or the blues lost game one, four to three and Subban was incredible. You've probably watched a little bit more PK Subban than I have. Do you think he can keep this rate of play up? Because he looked all world in that first game. Yeah. He had three points on the first three goals. So, um, that was pretty impressive. Uh, yeah, he, there's a reason why they traded for him and, it, it's he has kind of an interesting history in the NHL. He came up through the Montreal Canadiens, and in Montreal, they like their players a certain way. And it's very much kind of quiet, just happy to be here, whatever I can do to help the team. And he's got a little bit of a personality. At Halloween, he dressed up like Prince. And, I mean, he was the spitting image of Prince with, like, the wig and the purple coat and the frilly shirt, and he had a guitar. And uh, he posted a picture. I mean, it, it looked like Prince. And, and that just kind of showed his personality. He likes to have a good time. He likes to go out in the town. Uh, there's a little bit of uh, sparkle and pizzazz with his game on and off the ice. And that kind of went against the grain in Montreal a little bit. Wow. And, you know, here's the other thing. He was just given a big citizen, citizenship award because he's pledged millions of dollars to the children's hospital up in Montreal. And he was given like the, the province of Quebec, like one of their distinguished citizen awards for his community service and the big donations that he's making to the, to to the hospital up there. So he, not only is he a fantastic player to watch and honestly a fun player to watch, he's as good a guy off the ice as he is on, which just makes him the complete package. So yeah, there, there is a really good chance that he could be a deciding factor in every single playoff game between the blues and the predators. Yes. Wow. Well, that's great to hear of, you know, all those charitable contributions and you maybe don't hear about that in hockey as much as like the NFL, because that gets, you know, a little bit more publicized. And of course we don't hear things in Missouri. I don't hear things in Southwest Missouri about what's going on in Montreal but you hear that, and it's really you really want to root for people who do things like that. So, Brad, before uh, before I let you go, you've been generous with your time a couple of times on here now. I was reading all this stuff earlier today, and I was like, man, maybe I can help in some way. And the only thing I could think of was the end of the uh, quiz bowl and Billy Madison. <laughs> and I could just imagine submitting something and getting a reply of Mr. Keeney, what you've wrote is one of the most idiotic things ever. At no point in your rambling, incoherent article were you even close to anything that would be considered a rational thought. Everyone reading this is now dumber for it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. On your soul, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, here's the thing. If you're thinking about submitting a story to the paper, I would encourage it. And But here's what I always tell people, and I have an idea for you. So... What if you're if you ever want to submit something to the paper, I think the number one thing that people look for is a unique voice um, that you be yourself and 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 you know kind of stick to your point of view. So you know there are some people who take a very serious slant to their stories in the paper and they stick much, very much to statistics and facts and you know what they see and you know their experience as a hockey fan or even a hockey player. 
and that's cool. That's that you know that's that's an important part to have in the paper. And there are others who like to tell jokes, and they're much more of a uh, you know wisecracker, and uh, and and they're good at it. And I encourage them to take kind of the lighter side of games and the sport and and the blues in general. And, and I like that part of it too. You know, we've got areas where we have just jokes in the paper. Yeah. Uh, I, I joke with my wife that people pay me uh, small sums of money for my comedy. So, you know, that I, that I, I take that seriously. So what I would say to you, sir, is that if you, if you would want to write something that you could definitely take the slant as I'm not, in St. Louis, I'm on the other side of the state in an area that doesn't really follow hockey. There aren't a lot of hockey fans in my area. And I've I've really taken it upon myself to learn the game. And here's what kind of I've experienced a little bit. Some kind of lessons I've learned, like experiences, you know, going to games yeah. or talking to people or, you know, uh, being a part of uh, the Blues fans on Twitter and, and social media and stuff. And then, you know, what's that meant to you and why, yeah. why it's, uh, why it's been cool and why, why you have me on and why you're becoming a bigger hockey fan. And I think people would appreciate that because I think what, what some folks like if, if I was in your shoes, I would understand where I'd be a little reluctant saying, you know what, I'm talking to lifelong hockey fans and people who have played hockey for years. What am I going to tell them? They don't know, but we all started somewhere as a hockey fan. And, and I tell, I tell fans that I meet, you know, at games or outside the games or on Twitter or wherever. And they say that, you know, they're just learning the sport. They grew up in, in Kansas or Arkansas or something. And, you know, they're new to the sport. And I say, you know, if you ever have a question, let me know, because it can be complex. It can be a little bit hard to get into. And if you don't have that background, it doesn't always come natural to understand the flow of the game and what the the terminology is and stuff. So um, I hope that, Blues fans are, are pretty open to, to new fans because we all started somewhere. You know, I didn't really start, start watching hockey until I was about 16, 15, 16, 17. I mean, you know, late, you know, middle, middle, late teenage years. And uh, and now I, you know, I don't miss a game and I'm going to the game tonight and I run the stupid paper and I have a radio show where we talk about two hours of hockey during the day. So uh, you know, if you'd ask, if you'd ask 16 year old me, you, you, the stuff, if I told 16 year old me, the stuff is going to happen, I'd say you're crazy. So, you know, we yeah. all start somewhere. Yeah. Well, Brad, thank you for your time again. And we, uh, or I'm really enjoying uh, game time AM. I love the paper and, uh, we'll encourage all of our listeners to podcast like the Dickens, as you guys say on game time <laughs> AM and, uh, Check that out. Uh, really, in, I highly encourage it. I think you guys are great. Uh, love hearing Thanks. about the blues. You can, you can find us. You can find us real quick uh, if you go to inside inside or just look us up on iTunes or Google Cast app. Just search Game Time AM. Three words: Game Time AM, and you'll see us pop up. Subscribe, and it'll start downloading immediately. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Brad. Hey, thank you for having me, man. Two great interviews there with a couple of good hockey guys. Uh, thank them both for hopping on the podcast. And we are back with J.K. And J.K., you uh, you know, you had the whole appendicitis, weren't able to review Logan. What do you got for us on, in the way of movies? So Logan was actually really good. Um, before I went in to see the movie, I saw in a commercial that they were hailing it as the Dark Knight of the X-Men franchise. Having watched it, I don't think that that's an unfair comparison. It is a phenomenal movie. 
you don't have to know anything about the X-Men backstories because it's more of a character-driven movie. So you've got three and a half X-Men, and I only call it a half because one of them is only in it for a few scenes in the movie, and he doesn't really contribute anything to the plot. But you have Wolverine, Professor X, and this new X-23 girl. Uh, I thought it reminded me of Mad Max Fury Road in how it's like a road trip across um, kind of a dystopian America but it also has a tombstone feel to it because it is kind of a Western and I love tombstone. I'll be your Huckleberry. <laughs> okay. I will say Val Kilmer as Doc Holliday, one of my top 10 favorite movie characters of all time. Oh, no doubt, man. I, I love Val Kilmer in that movie. I thought that that was just a greatly cast movie. I'm we're getting, we're getting into some 90s stuff. No, but, okay. <laughs> seriously. What happened to Val Kilmer? I don't know. It's like he was Batman and then like he vanished. And then nothing. He was in Top Gun. He was in The Saint. He was in Bat- so Batman Forever, uh, Tombstone. And then the last movie I remember him being in was Kiss Kiss Bang Bang with Robert Downey Jr. That's a Shane Black movie um, that I highly recommend. Um, oh, I before I forget, I have come up with a new rating system for us. Let's hear it. Okay, so here's, here's how I'm going to rate our movies now because I wanted to give it more of a football theme too. Um, if I call the movie a touchdown, it is a 100% movie that you should absolutely go see. If it's a field goal, it's a movie that was good, but you know, if you wait around for it to be on Redbox or Netflix, then that's okay. You know, it's not an absolute must-see, but it's worth watching. A safety is a movie that I don't feel strongly about either way. So yeah, you get the points, but and you get the ball back, but it's not anything to, you know, get too excited about. And then we have the pick six. And the pick six is a movie that you, or a TV show that you do not want to watch. You want to avoid it. And so I've got something that fits each of these categories. From I, our last I already know without having watched it, what your pick six is going to be. Yeah. Uh, was your pick six Iron Fist? My pick six was Iron Fist. I just like going through Twitter, saw like four people one night that was like, Iron Fist sucks. I've wasted enough of my life watching it. Okay. Here's why I'm really upset about Iron Fist. I finally got Brittany talked into sitting down and watching a Marvel TV show from beginning to end with me. Because Daredevil, amazing. Touchdown TV show. Jessica Jones, field goal TV show. Pretty good. Luke Cage, safety. You know, it didn't really do a lot for me, but it's still, you know, you could catch it. Iron Fist, 100% of pick six. It is awful. It The character is whiny, naive. He believes anything anyone tells him. You know, and Brittany even made the comment by the time we got to episode 10, she's like, I just don't even like him anymore. And I'm like, I can't disagree with you there. Um, the one thing, uh, the Kevin Smith podcast that I listened to that they pointed out that I really didn't catch on to while I was watching it. But now looking back, I'm like, yeah, they were right. They have a lot of boardroom scenes. There's more boardroom scenes than Kung Fu in it. And the Kung Fu is a bunch of cut scenes, you know, because obviously Finn Jones is not a martial arts expert. And it's always pain obvious when it's not him doing the stunts. So, you know, if you're into the Marvel TV shows, read what happens on Wikipedia. Don't waste 13 hours watching it like I did. What What do you think happened? Did they pick the wrong people? Or yeah. was it kind of uh, they 
I don't know. I was wondering if we were ever going to get into the they're producing so mu- so many Marvel movies and TV shows that eventually something's going to be a clunker. No, that, that's exactly right. Like eventually they were going to drop the ball on something, and, and this was their first clunker. You know, it just the casting wasn't right. I don't think Finn Jones is a good Danny Rand. Um, the best part of the show was Colleen Wing. Um, they had Jessica Henwick. She was actually one of the Sands in Game of Thrones. Oh, okay. Yeah, she plays his main love interest and um, the other lead in the show. And I thought she was great. Um, They just didn't really use her enough. Or at least I don't think they did. It just wasn't a super interesting show and it left you just wanting more. The cliffhanger at the end actually kind of irritated me because I'm like, hey, that's what would have made a good show. What you gave us wasn't really all that great. So... I'm hoping they write the ship with the Defenders. That's coming out in August. So that's going to be Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, and Iron Fist. They're teaming up against um, the big bad is going to be Sigourney Weaver. We don't know who she is or what villain she's going to be portraying, but I'm hoping it's going to be good. It's only going to be eight episodes instead of the 13, so it'll be a little bit more user-friendly, I guess you could say, instead of the time commitment to watch these 13-episode hour-long seasons. So, J.K., I uh, I have a, I'm just gonna spitball and ask you a question on a movie that I am probably going to see tonight. Just I want to hear if you've heard anything about it. Uh, the Founder. Okay, I have not seen it yet, but that is at the top of my list of movies that I want to watch. Um, for those of you that don't know what The Founder is about, Michael Keaton plays Ray Kroc, who has been hailed as the founder of the mcdonald's franchise but this movie is actually about how he basically ripped it away from the mcdonald's brothers yeah how he basically just stole their whole brand and then in the i i just kind of read like the backstory because when i first saw the commercial i'm like what and so reading the backstory basically like it ended up like so shitty in the end that he wouldn't let the McDonald's brothers keep the name McDonald's for their own restaurant, which was all they basically owned at the end. Yeah. I've heard it's a great watch. You know, it's one of those movies. Um, everybody says it'll make you mad, but you know, it's definitely entertaining to watch anything Nick Offerman's in, you know, sign me up and I love Michael Keaton. Cause you know, Michael Keaton's going to be in a movie this summer that I'm looking forward to Spider-Man homecoming. Oh, I did not realize that. Yeah, he plays Vulture. He's going to be the big bad villain in that movie. And and I'm looking forward to that. I think that Tom Holland and Robert Downey Jr., they have good on-screen chemistry. They've got that mentor-mentee thing going pretty strongly. And I think it's going to be good. Um, Sorry, I am looking at my calendar to, uh, oh, 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 you know what comes out on Friday, May 5th. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Yes, yes, indeed, and uh, I figured that you would be pretty. Ex- I'm pretty excited about that. I'm uh, very excited, man. They just they as much as they clunked on Iron Fist. I I feel like Guardians of the Galaxy was just the opposite. Like yeah. it came know, out of nowhere and is this this awesome movie. Then everybody's excited about the sequel. Yes, I think you could put Iron Fist and Guardians of the Galaxy on the polar opposite ends of the spectrum of the Marvel universe right now in terms of fan response so trying to talk people into seeing guardians of the galaxy you have a walking tree a talking raccoon um a green alien a blue alien and chris pratt holding and, them all together and andy from parks and rec hey so here's here's something fun that you might not know about chris pratt's character in guardians of the galaxy star lord from missouri 
What? Yes. Star-Lord's character in the Marvel comics is a Missouri kid. We should have, like, at least thrown this little nugget out to TJ Moe yesterday. Because, you know, TJ is a, a big of Missouri guy. He's the one that carried the Missouri battle flag <laughs> out in the last uh, Border War game against Kansas. Okay, I'm a huge TJ Moe fan. You were talking about, you know, you talk to some alumni that's like, he should never have to buy another drink in Columbia again. I was one of those people, so TJ, if you're listening, thank you for that game. I was sitting in Tiger's Lair, and I could barely actually see him running into the end zone because the Mizzou sideline, they were jumping up and down, and you couldn't actually see him. But I knew that he had scored the touchdown because the cannons go off, and you know everyone's just going absolutely nuts. But I actually didn't see him cross the goal line because of just the pandemonium that broke out. Oh, yeah. So how do you know Star-Lord was from Missouri? Uh, I've, I've read a lot of the comics you know i've recently gotten into marvel comics i'm more of a dc guy which if we have time later i can tell you how to fix the dc movie universe i've got a plan for that but i i just thought it was really cool um that he was from missouri there's another superhero from missouri the flash central city is actually in missouri in the comics what yeah man missouri getting some love i thought i thought every superhero had to live in new york well, and that's what Marvel made you think for the longest time because they were all in New York. But I, I'm a big Missouri guy, so when I see, you know, people from Missouri and pop culture making it big, or um, in in the comics they give references to Missouri, I just love that stuff. Cullen Bunn, who's one of the top Marvel writers right now, he puts Springfield, Missouri, in every comic that he writes right now. Really, specifically Springfield, Missouri. I, I've seen you uh, interact with him on Twitter before, and yeah. so if, I, if I'm going to check out a comic book, it's going to be one of his. Yeah, he wrote Deadpool Kills the Marvel Universe, which is the best Deadpool comic book out there. Um, it was a lot of fun, and he's an awesome guy. He's a Missouri guy, so seeing his success, I think, is just really awesome. Yeah, it is. So, JK, I'm, uh, I've am i distracted you enough. What, what, what other movies, TV shows do you have for us? So... I got talked into going to see the Beauty and the Beast live-action show. Me too. Your wife? Yes. Ah, same here. Yeah. I give it a safety. So, I I don't think it was bad. It didn't wow me. Because um, I, I thought the good things were it filled in a lot of the plot holes from the cartoon. Like, mm-hmm. how is there this gigantic castle, you know, near the town that nobody knows about and nobody ever talks about? Um, they kind of explain that a little yeah. bit more in the movie. But, you know, all the music is exactly the same. They didn't change it at all other than the voices of the people singing it. Um, and it just didn't really add enough to the story for me to really think it was like this amazing movie. But it, it's not bad. So if you haven't seen it, you know, Disney's getting ready to buy Netflix probably. So, you know, it might end up on Netflix. What? Yeah. Disney has been in... I heard two days ago that Amazon was getting ready to buy Disney. Well, yeah. I mean, these are all rumors, and I could definitely see Amazon buying Disney as well. I think Amazon's going to buy the NFL eventually one day. Uh, so, uh, first I'll give you my Beauty and the Beast thoughts, and then uh, we'll we'll continue to talk about this. So, I, I agree with Beauty and the Beast. Uh, I, I, I've been a Emma Watson fan because of, you know the harry potter and just kind of i don't know not watch. to mention she's a slamming hottie yeah wait <laughs> wait, wait to pick that up for me uh so no i i've always been a fan so that's why i was like well, okay i'll go Let, yeah. let's go see this and i don't know there were some funny parts in it and uh i would say safety is a good call especially for a couple of grown men near nearing 30 
Yeah. Yeah. Safety is a good call. I would say if you, I don't know how it would affect kids. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, the beast is kind of scary. I mean, if you're like six, right, you know, yeah. or four, right, which who I think would probably be like part of their target audience here. Like, I mean, he's not a cartoon character. That's a real dude that looks like a beast. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. I don't know at what age it would be appropriate to show a kid this movie. I don't know. Was it PG or PG-13? I don't even remember. Uh, I will look it up here in a minute, but I would guess it would be PG because I don't remember anything from the movie that would have. All right. So I mentioned this earlier before we even started the podcast. I have a, a fix for how you could fix the DC movie universe. All right. I want to hear it. Okay. So they're already saying that Wonder Woman might not be very good. I'm still looking forward to it. I think it's going to be okay. It has the girl from one of the fast movies, right? Yeah. Gal Gadot. Okay. And I think she's great. I was kind of skeptical at first, but I think she did really well in Batman v Superman. And uh, <sighs> my wife was like, she's too skinny to be Wonder Woman. When, I, when she was yeah. in the original or when she was in Fast and the Furious. And then like she she bulked up yeah. and Lindsay's like, OK, she looks more like a superwoman now no that was exactly why i was not completely on board with gal gadot being wonder woman at first so she was way too skinny but she did all right. it would be like having taylor swift play wonder woman yeah. like it just wouldn't make any sense at all also i'm pretty sure i said superwoman there for a minute uh, so uh, uh forgive me gang uh but we've got justice league coming out in november mm-hmm. which is going to be all of them together again and then we have aquaman and I believe another Suicide Squad movie coming out. And now they just announced Joss Whedon is going to do a Batgirl movie. There's going to be a Nightwing movie. So here's how I would fix the DC Universe. Because they do have the Batman solo movie on the slate to start after the second Justice League movie. Instead of doing it as just a Batman, you do the Flashpoint universe. And for those of you that don't know what Flashpoint is... It's where the Flash goes back in time to stop his mom from being murdered. But when he does that, there's a butterfly effect, and it completely changes everything in the DC Universe. So one of the biggest complaints that I hear about the DC Universe right now is we see the same things over and over and over again. Like, how many times have you seen Superman's ship crash land in Smallville, Kansas? How many times have you seen Bruce Wayne's parents get gunned down in Crime Alley? It seems like they put those in every single movie. Mm -hmm. But if you do Flashpoint... It's going to be something that hardcore DC fans are going to love because it's one of the you know, most vaulted stories of all time, and it has a fresh take. So here's how I'm going to sell you on the Flashpoint movie. Instead of Bruce Wayne, or, or excuse me, instead of Bruce Wayne's parents getting killed in that crime alley, Bruce Wayne gets killed in Brian, crime alley. Okay, I, I, I would like to see that. I would definitely watch this movie, as would I think almost everyone. Yeah. So his dad, Thomas Wayne, ends up becoming a Batman who has no problems whatsoever shooting and killing people. And Martha Wayne becomes the Joker. What? Yes. That is how you fix the DC movie universe. You do Flashpoint. I think it would be a good hit, and I don't see any reason not to. Uh, So I think that would be a top hit at the box office. I think that a lot of people would be intrigued. Hopefully they could do it right. Uh... 
Well, yeah, it's a, it's a Jeff Johns story. So Jeff Johns is running the DC movie universe right now, and he actually wrote the comic book that it's based off of. So to use a sports analogy, to not have him writing movies right now would be like trading for Miguel Cabrera and only using him as a DH when you're playing American League teams. I gotcha. So uh, trying to think if there's any more good movie stuff. Uh, we talked about Guardians of the Galaxy coming back or coming out. Uh, the founders on Redbox. Oh, did you bring us a Netflix pick of the pick of the podcast? I don't have one this time. I actually haven't been watching a lot of Netflix. Um, we watched the entire ten season run of Friends in the time that I've been on the podcast. So I haven't seen any movies that are on there um, that I would recommend off the top of my head. I'm laughing on the inside because of Married Life. Yeah. Exactly. So, uh, something we're both pretty passionate about, and a, a big news story that was wrote about in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch this week, was Barry Odom wants to switch sidelines. And so, basically, because of SEC rules, if they switch sidelines, and his reasoning was they're in the shade more on the, on the what, what would that be, on the west sidelines? Yes. Uh, they would be in the shade more during the day games. It would be advantageous to the team. Uh, the The coaches boxes are able to relay signals and see better and so he has his reasons but the one one problem with all of this is they're over on the in the east bleachers you know that's all student section and the front is all tigers layer but according to an sec rule they would have to between the 30 yard lines of either side and like i think 20 30 rows back would have to be opposing fans because you can't put your student section right behind the visiting team's bench. So, obviously, the alumni on the other side of are on the west end zone, or on the west end zone, on the west side of the field, aren't going to be like, oh, hey, here, kids, come take our seats that we pay thousands of dollars a year for and then thousands of dollars in donations for. So, what, do you, what, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, I'm not a fan of that. I, I don't like the idea of them switching sides um have you been to a game since we left mizzou like and sat on the parent side it is unsettling i hated it um we went to homecoming a few years ago when they were playing vanderbilt and we sat on the parent side and i uh i react pretty viscerally to things in mizzou games and i was the only one in our section that was like yelling and screaming and you know, singing the fight songs and doing, you know, the waves and stuff. I felt like everyone else was just kind of there going through the motions. And I just, I felt really disconnected. And as we were driving back to Springfield after that, I told Brittany, I have never been more depressed after a Mizzou football game than what I was after that one. Yeah, well, you know, when we were kids, my first couple of games were in the adult section. And so I kind of got that more vanilla, you know, kind of everybody's just there for the old school spirit and uh not like curse yell scream stomp the bleachers pissed off uh like i am at home when i'm watching a mizzou game uh so i I, yeah it's a it's a different animal man uh and i i really would hate to see all of that get moved around and shuffled as far as the seating goes uh so jk uh on the spot because i like putting you on the spot because that's when i get my best answers uh lucas said he is out are you going to be at the uh msu mu game with us september 2nd the football game 
Yeah. It's going to be uh, one of our – it's going to be how we open college football season at the Fumbling Punter. You know, we're, so the plan, and I'm I'm saying this on, on the podcast so everybody that listens can hopefully get excited for this. We're going to set up our tailgate at a few different college football locations and uh, Chiefs games, maybe a Cowboys game. Oh, you didn't mention there's going to be tailgating. If there's tailgating, yeah, I'll come. Okay. <laughs> so basically, it's just going to be it's going to be the fumbling punter tailgate. Yeah, I'm in. We're, uh, like I said, I'm teasing this on the podcast so everybody can get pumped. Uh going to have the the fumbling punter tailgate set up and we're going to have some giveaways uh be able to talk to people maybe i'm, I'm gonna bring a uh a voice recorder i don't know why i just forgot what that's called anyhow in case we see uh maybe see anybody famous out there maybe see some cool alumni that we're able to talk to get them on the podcast just kind of a event for the fumbling punter yeah i i think that'd be great and i'm definitely in. i'm always down for some mizzou football and some tailgating. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, JK, anything more before we wrap this up? Yeah, I'm going to put you on the spot and flip the flip the script here. So, yesterday was National Superhero Day. And you know how they've been doing that name 10 concerts thing on Facebook and which one I didn't actually go to? I've never been to 10 concerts, so I didn't yeah. participate in that. But for National Superhero Day, they asked everybody to list their three favorite superheroes. So, who are your three favorite superheroes? Okay. Um... Can I go generations of Batman? Sure. Okay. Uh, Christian Bale Batman is number one. <laughs> um, then I would say... is Well, the shit. The Joker's not a superhero. No. Okay, so he's out. The Flash, there you go. number two. And then rounding out my top three, I have to go... I have to go Wolverine. Those are, yeah, those are all solid picks. Mine would be Batman, Flash, and Daredevil. Yeah. Now, I didn't give every Batman because, you know, for reasons. Oh, I, and I'm not a comic book guy, so I, I haven't, like, been... I, I'm i a big who the actor is kind of yeah. guy. Yeah, I and I just, I can't buy a... Man, I'm completely dying on his name. Ben Affleck? Ben Affleck. I can't, I can't buy Ben Affleck Batman. Eh, fair enough. Christian Bale Batman, though? Even uh, Michael Keaton, Batman. Michael Keaton is the best Batman. Yeah, I, I which I agree. Val Kilmer, kind of more in the uh, Ben Affleck category. Yeah, yeah, I'll give you that. George Clooney, man, that's one that we that falls through the cracks on this show. Oh man, uh, yeah, I I don't even know where to begin there. Okay, so uh, before we completely go, I want to uh, I want to thank some people. I was a little, uh, you know, we'd had some interviews get moved around uh, for the Wednesday podcast, and I was uh, was a little deflated with uh, the podcast uh, on that particular day, just because so many things had got moved around and switched. But I want to give a big uh, thank you to everybody. A big thank you to Lucas, J.K., uh, T.J. Moe, Bradley, and Christopher Martell for joining the podcast here the last few days. I think it's been a lot of fun. Hopefully, you guys are retweeting and sharing. Uh, it's been it's been fun. Uh, these last couple of days have been a blast. I feel like I have been in the rec- recording studio more than I have done anything in life. So that's been a lot of fun. JK, thanks for joining us. It's always fun. Hopefully, no other uh, organs blow out on you. And uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I hope not. <laughs> I, I've only got so many. Yeah, uh, ho- hopefully, the, hopefully those are done, and uh, hopefully, we're able to do this 
maybe talk some Guardians of the Galaxy? Yeah, I really hope so. All right. Well, JK, thanks for joining us. Uh, This has been the Fumbling Punter for JK Sturgeon. I'm Devin Keeney. Have a good weekend, everyone.